Hey everyone, this week I continue my conversation with Soul Rack on the Harlem Renaissance and this week we're focusing in on a new black identity. I uh, hope you enjoy. Well, hello. Hello. How are right, you doing? I'm doing good. We're here for another exciting time talking about one of my favorite subjects, history or Ab- our story. Absolutely. I'm excited to talk about it today. Before yes. we do, I just wanted to say congratulations on your new single, Blackface, that just came out. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And I appreciate all the people who have supported the music, even the ones who have it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate everybody. <laughs> you need you need fuel to go sometimes, even when you're doing. You always need fuel. So those who don't support, thank you for the fuel. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a great attitude. Absolutely nice. Well, you got to be positive because, um, especially being on social media, you see so much negativity throughout the platform. And if you allow yourself to get sucked in, you can become a product of your environment. So you have to have have to always always analyze what you're thinking and always renew your thought process that way you can continue to grow as a human being so very true mm-hmm. all right so i know that today we're going to be talking about the harlem renaissance but yes. I thought we should maybe start with just a little recap of uh the great migration yeah i think that'd be great um just to put it in a nutshell there were many things that well the great migration primarily what it was it was just a movement uh, by african americans to leave the southern regions um prior to the great migration 90 percent of african americans stayed in the south and due to economic inequality uh, because and the opportunities that were provided elsewhere uh due to the the war there was a shortage of workers companies were enticing uh, black people to move up north to get away so that way they could have people in their factories um, and anything was better than sharecropping or being a domestic meaning that you were a maid so those opportunities especially for you know uh, african-american men that was a great opportunity where you can work in the factory and break away from the you know the inequality that was going on in the south especially dealing with jim crow and how you were treated as a second-class citizen. You didn't have an opportunity to be respected. You couldn't even look a white man in the eye, nor could you shake their hand. Anything that would give you some level of equality was shone upon. And, you know, we all know about Emmett Till, how he um, allegedly whistled at a woman and was killed as a result of that. And that was everyday life for African-Americans living in the South is that at any given moment you do you break one of these code of conducts you can easily be killed or lynched mm-hmm. and at the ultimate i mean at the highest level lynching lynchings were going on three times a week and mm-hmm. it was seen as sport where people would gather in large crowds to see someone being lynched now just think about the brutality of that we can just imagine for a moment just imagine that people are gathering together just to see someone get killed and hung by a tree and then they're taking scraps from that person for lack of a better term as souvenirs 
the brutality that was there. And we could just use our imagination for a moment, how mm-hmm. horrible that was, because we have people today, especially in America, you know, they don't like to see people getting killed in the electric chair or fighting about lethal injection. How far have we come mm-hmm. from the time that we were being brutalized or being hung in a tree because you did you went against one of these code of conducts, which is the mm-hmm. Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it was just a very brutal system. So I just wanted to, I'm glad we had the opportunity to recap because mm-hmm. that way people can follow where we're going because what we're taking them on the journey and we just want them to buckle up and take the ride with us. Absolutely. So the great migration is mm-hmm. sort of the, um, I guess the, start or the building blocks to the Harlem Renaissance. So I know that uh, why don't you sort of tell us a little bit about that or sort of what it is for people that don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the Harlem Renaissance, in essence, it was a place where, as we were talking about the Great Migration, we went plenty of places. Some went to the Midwest, some went to Chicago, and then there was a a large settlement of African-Americans that went to Harlem, which is in New York, for those of you who may not be familiar with um, the United States. Um, basically, what it was during the Great Migration, which was the, what we consider the first migration, which was like from 1910 to around 1940, depending on the area, or in some cases, 1910 to the mid-30s. Um, during that time, there was a migration of 1.6 million African-Americans that moved from the South. Um, about 10% of those people, 175,000 African-Americans, they settled in, the, in what we know today as Harlem, which is a section of Manhattan, which is also part of New York City. So that, and it covered about three square miles. So in that particular area, there were so many African-Americans. And these people that came to Harlem, they came with their talents. Uh, they weren't able to fully, fully utilize their, their potential or creativity because of Jim Crow and because there was such a so much oppression down south. I mean, um, even during slavery times, uh, African-Americans had talent. It's just, you know, it was misused for the purpose of entertaining the master. Uh, but now that freedom, that newfound freedom has allowed you to utilize those talents. And now you can be able to express yourself, even though racism did exist, even up north. Let's not be foolish or let's not pretend that it didn't. But there was more opportunities to present your talent and you didn't have as many inhibitors as you did in the South. So that creativity wasn't as limited as it was before. And now it became like an explosion. And Harlem was one of the places that created that created that hub where that creativity and that talent that we now benefit from today uh, was experienced, basically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's amazing to think about, given the opportunity just the amount of, uh, you know, talent that was moving, you know, out of uh, the Jim Crow South. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it's, um, so I know we're saying like Harlem, just about Mm -hmm. why um, they were settling, you know, African-Americans were settling in Harlem in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. They were. Mm -hmm. They were. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, it was a great foundation uh, because from Harlem, it created a foundation for the civil rights movement uh, because that's where we was able to develop our sense of identity 
and we and that's where the black militancy came from but it created the foundation of civil rights movements that that occurred during the 1950s and 60s um we're still fighting today as, as mm. <laughs> I, don't think, I think we still fight today um it's just you know there's you know now you have social justice um i think that's what they call themselves people who do yes. active activism online which is i think just as important as protesting on the streets, mm-hmm. I think they're equally important. I don't think one is lesser than the other, you know. But I think all, I think any type of fight that we do for against any type of oppression is good. And I like what you're doing in uh, Canada when you're helping with indigenous people. I think anything that fights against racism is a good cause. Whether mm-hmm. it's done online or it's done protesting on the streets, it's equally important. A hundred percent. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think you mentioned that, you know, this movement is benefiting us today, which is absolutely true. I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's created a, a new black identity. Yes. Um, yes. Which is, and, you know, of course, the civil rights movement as well. So, you know, shaping um, other ideas, uh, you know, Americans, not just, you know, people of color, black people, African-American people, mm-hmm. just... Uh, having people see us in a different way yes yes given the opportunity i think that was um it's huge it still has an impact on you know currently you know what people see mm-hmm. uh, as p- black people today very true I, mm-hmm. I mean there was i'm glad you mentioned that because when you talk about black identity i want to use a quote from zora neale hurston she said sometimes i feel discriminated against but it does not make me angry. It merely astonished me. How can anyone deny themselves the pleasure of my company is beyond me. So I think that's mm-hmm. a powerful quote because of the fact that she was just saying that you're missing out on what I can, how you can benefit from me because of the fact that you're discriminated against me versus trying to get to know me as a person. You allow my skin color to prevent you from going, uh, having mm-hmm. a pleasurable experience with someone that is pleasurable, basically. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. that was powerful within itself. And as we talk about identity, I wanted to bring up something that um, W.E.B. Du Bois did. I can't quote the date, but I know it was in the early part of the 1900. But during mm-hmm. the time that we were dealing with, we mentioned Jim Crow, during the time that we were dealing with um, the negative black imagery, uh, the stereotypes where they tried to show black people with, you know, the big eyes and looking like coons and you know, you, you met, that was a series that I was teaching on one time where the Jim Crow laws and all of these things. Because Jim Crow, even though they were laws of conduct, it also was a way of, of degrading us through um, advertisements. Like they would have alligators eating kids. That was just something you get in the mail on a postcard. <laughs> and some of these things came from my state, which is Florida. And so, but mm-hmm. so it was negative imagery that we had to combat against as well. But uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, sorry, uh, he did something. uh, They had a, I believe it was a fair that occurred in Paris. And he had images of black people with sophistication. Um, It showed them looking, you know, dressed nice, their hair done Mm. and everything like that. To combat that negative imagery that was going on in America to make people see us less than or see us as second class citizens. Mm. So it's very Mm -hmm. powerful. Absolutely. It's, um, it's very important that those images are out there. I know mm-hmm. even now when we talk about representation in the media and movies and just how powerful um, 
message that it's affecting, you know, people is bringing people to tears when you see uh, yourself represented on TV, uh, on a movie, and just, you know, having our pride and our culture represented in a way that can make you proud. Um, it still, you know, affects people because it's something that we don't see too often. It's something we do need to see um, because the wounds of like, you know, the Jim Crow era, you know, they're still there. They're still deep. So, yes. you know, it something now um, to see us, uh, our culture represented in a respectful and, you know, a sophisticated way. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons, and I'm not trying to plug my song, but it kind of falls in line with what we're talking about. But that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. I was uh, driven to write Blackface because it's, you know, it's something we've been dealing with over 200 years, but it's still ongoing. And we have to get to the roots. I think a lot of times, like, you know, you know, there's a theory out there that, and I don't subscribe to it, but I think sometimes people think you have to be anti-white in order to be, you know, to, to celebrate blackness. And you don't have to be. You can mm -hmm. still love other cultures and still love your own culture at the same time. I think we can do, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But with that being said, it's important that we understand that these negative images do exist. And we're still mm -hmm. fighting these negative images. And a lot of things that we do today or some of the internal issues that we fight stem from previous experiences that we had and we have to understand where they come from in order to have them properly removed and so that's why it was good that so i so as they were fighting for a new black identity in harlem and during the harlem renaissance i think we're still still at the same point i think it's an ongoing fight because we're still striving to define blackness we're still still fighting to have a clearer mm. image of who we are and to identify mm. as a culture. Cause in my opinion, I don't, I know there's, uh, I'm, I'm African-American, that's a subculture, but what you and mm. I share, regardless of region or country or continent is the fact that we're black and our experiences are similar. And mm. so we have to get mm. past that wall where my issue is my issue and you don't understand my issue. I think we can break those barriers and make a connection and that's where we can start seeing more power as we as we continue to define our identity. A hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a very it's, it's important message. I think, um, yeah, that's what I, one of the things I really love about uh, your message and your single out there, the you know blackface and erasing blackface mm -hmm. um, campaign. It's just that it you know people need to understand their history to understand you know how we can go forward and improve things and sort of create that identity free from uh such a you know difficult and terrible past mm -hmm. i think um people you know need to understand the history where it's coming from um which is really the only way to sort of build and be better i agree in the future i agree yeah. and so you know like i said as we as we go through that that process of self-expression through creativity um we can learn that one of the reasons i felt there was a need to talk about the harlem renaissance because i think we have grown detached from that that um experience um and mm -hmm. and we have to realize that as we deal with hip-hop in its current state we also got to realize that rapping or rapping is just a form of poetry and we have to acknowledge those who wrote poetry and we have to understand the power of poetry so we can define 
so we can better appreciate what we're doing and we in my in my opinion we'll have a greater a sense of we'll have that connectivity that we need um and we're always saying well the young people they're going a different path and they're doing that you know what we got to bridge the gap we got to create that connectivity as the older artists as the older people in our culture we have to create that connectivity and part of connecting them to us we also got to let them know the history of what we what we what we gain and what we learn we have to pass it on we got to play it we got to pay it forward mm. so uh we mm -hmm. definitely have to do that to create a legacy that will continue to thrive even after we're gone and that's why it's so important to talk about this subject mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. i think the uh the need to you know pass that history on is something i think uh, every culture understands the importance of that. And it's something that's so difficult for African-Americans um, because we, you know, we have our, our history's been sort of interrupted through slavery, um, exactly. you know, having direct connections. So I think um, when we have this opportunity, this point in time, like the Harlem Renaissance, where we are, you know, given this opportunity to start a new and to start mm -hmm. a fresh, it's been an on our culture it's so important to you know tell those stories and to make sure that you know the names like Zora Hurston yes. and just you know make sure that you know everyone uh, understands the importance of the people that um, help build up uh, our identity how we see yeah, it exactly and I'm glad you brought up Zora Neale Hurston um, because um, and there were a lot of people that made literary contributions during the Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston, and Claude McKay, uh, and even a lesser known poet. I don't think she was lesser known, but as far as popularity, and Spencer, um, mm. all of these people were important figures that contributed to the Harlem Renaissance, and they helped create that um, identity. And I'll give you a quick fact: um, Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, because of the, the dialect that she used at the time, you know, like is and even Langston Hughes, they kind of use a different dialect in their writings. Um, it was looked upon negatively later on, like as the newer people came. And I guess you will say that intellectualism was taken to new heights. They kind of they kind of shone the writings that were done uh, by them because they felt like mm. it was, you know, um, I would say, I guess, the, for lack of a better term, it was negative or misrepresentation, mis misrepresentation of our culture. And so they felt that those writings shouldn't be adhered. Mm -hmm. It was in 19, if my memory is right, mm -hmm. it was in 19, um, in the 1970, well, 1975, people started having interest in Zora Neale Hurston because of Alice Walker. Uh, she wrote an article called In Search of Zora Neale Hurston. But a lot of people don't realize that she, some people are familiar with her, mm -hmm. her novel, she had four of them, but one of the novels that were more popular because the movie was out, their eyes were worth watching God, with, uh, which was um, Halle Berry played uh, the main character, which is by the name of Jenny, um, if my memory's right, as far as the name. But the thing that, it, the thing that is significant about Zora Neale Hurston is that she, she identified with the racial struggles that were going on in the American South. Um, in the early 1900s, and she wrote um, numerous short stories, plays, and essays, but she was very significant because of the fact that she was bringing, shining the light of what it was to be an African-American woman during those times. Uh, she, she wrote from that perspective, 
and she was able to give mm-hmm. people to understand the value mm-hmm. of the African-American, but she also showed the struggles. And one thing I like about any writer is when they speak truthfully, they show the struggles, you know, because when we when we deal with history, we like to paint a good picture like they didn't do anything mm-hmm. wrong. <laughs> and they, they was perfect human beings and they never had any struggles. <laughs> and I like the fact when any writer or even mm-hmm. an artist uh, per se can give us the true story or the true experience that a person has. In other words, I'm saying they're relatable in their writings. Um, I think that has value because we want to identify with what we hear or what we see. We want to identify. Uh, we want to feel human. Um, and I think Zora Neale Hurston, other than mm-hmm. the writings that she did in her very popular book, uh, Their Eyes and Watching God, I think she helped bring, she brought her works concerned both the African-American experience and the struggles of an African-American woman. I think that was important for people to understand that she she was able to highlight those things in a time that I believe was very unpopular uh, because of the time frame that she that she was around. We're not talking about in the 80s. We're talking about around the night in the 30s, mm-hmm. 1930s, where Jim Crow was still going <laughs> on. Black people were still being linked in the South. Mm-hmm. So all of this was going on. I think that's incredible yeah. that she wrote from that perspective. It is. Mm-hmm. It is very incredible. I always, uh, you know, it's you always have to put that frame on it when you're looking at things in sort of a, you know, a window of time and just how amazing it is um, that people can have that. Um, I'm always drawn um, mm-hmm. myself to like written works of art. So, you know, it's um, just sort of a thing. But I, I think it's a powerful thing to have that sort of a vessel for self-expression it's something that's very um you know human and i think it was great that she was able to do that to show um you know a, a side of you know african americans as being you know intelligent and human you know flawed that because it does you know people can relate to that um even now um so i think yeah, it's, I agree. Uh, it's important to have that voice i agree and I know that um, mm-hmm. even though she was, you know, popular or she was a contributing uh, writer to the Hall of Renaissance, there was even disagreement between her and Langston Hughes. Uh, she, she, she was uh, a fan of Booker T. Washington. We talked about him last week, where he was saying, "Well, hey, you know, we don't need to leave the South. We can, <laughs> you know, plant our buckets here, meaning we can make things work here instead of, you know." And some people probably look at him, "Man, you crazy." <laughs> Cause that's what I would have said. Uh, I'm sorry, bro, but uh, I'm gonna go up north. Uh, I'm tired of seeing. Yeah. I don't want to see my. I've seen too many people get lit. I'm out of here. So I don't believe. So, but don't get me wrong. I think his 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 goal was noble because one of the things he did do, he did started the. Uh, yeah. Uh, he yes. started, you know, the college uh, Tuskegee, which uh, was a vocational college that taught people to have a trade and things like that. So he was significant in his own right. Uh, and and one thing we gotta understand that even though we may disagree. Mm-hmm on different things we can disagree without being disagreeable and just because i think we got to get out of the mindset whereas if you don't support my cause then you're wrong i think we can both be right and still make a difference Mm -hmm. even though we may have different ways of getting there but ultimately the end game is the same and that's what we have to try to put our focus on rather than hey if you don't support my cause then you're wrong we got to get out of that divisive mentality and start finding ways that we can come together so we can be glue mm-hmm. instead of being, you know, <laughs> rather than, than uh, trying to be divisive unnecessarily. 
absolutely agreed yeah it's very very true i think the end goal is the same i think everyone has you know the same vision in mind um and it's great to be more supportive you'll get more you'll be more -hmm. successful and more productive just by working together Uh, i think it's uh you know something that it's still a a work under (laughs) it's a work in progress i think Mm -hmm. for people but yeah it's a great message and i agree with you 100 percent um that uh it's a great philosophy to have in life and especially when we're trying to make Absolutely. a movement and a change and, here and so, then I, i'm gonna yeah. touch on langston hughes and i'll talk yeah. lightly on clyde mckay and um and then we'll lead the mm-hmm. we'll leave people hungry for the next episode uh <laughs> because we'll talk about <laughs> the musicians yeah. which i think are just as important I, but because they're so because this um you know this is an expansive mm-hmm. list of talent that we can talk about because there are so many people that contribute to the Hall of Renaissance. We can probably talk about this for months, but we'll keep, but it's good to give people bite-sized um, yeah. <laughs> episodes that way they can taste it and then come back mm-hmm. and want it more. But <laughs> just to touch on Langston Hughes, even though, like I said uh, earlier, uh, Zora Neale Hurston and him disagreed because she, you know, she was more for, you know, like Booker T. Washington and self-help politics and, you know, they had their disagreements. They both made contributions um, in history because Langston Hughes, he, he was a wonderful poet, um, especially, especially a so, social activist and playwright, of course, columnist. columnist. Uh, he was one of the people that was um, really influential when the civil rights movement began, uh, when it started gaining traction, because he would always write in-depth columns and stuff in the, and a leading black newspaper called the Chicago Defender. So he really spoke against a lot of different things. Um, I think the best way to describe Langston Hughes, I'll take it from a quote or a a saying from Lofton Mitchell. He said, Langston set a tone, a standard of brotherhood and friendship and cooperation for all of us to follow. You never got from him. I am the Negro writer, but only I am a Negro writer. He never stopped thinking about the rest of us. And so I think that's the best tribute to give to Langston Hughes. Mm Um, other than his the fact that he contributed mm. so much in the area of poetry and being a social activist, novelist, playwright, and a columnist, is that the fact he never forgot about us, that he always thought about us when he wrote about us. And that's something that I can say that was wonderful about him. Mm-hmm. And Clay, Clyde McKay, he was a Jamaican writer-poet who was a seminal figure in the Harlem Renaissance. But his he contributed a lot in the literary movement. And one of the things that I would say that really stands out for him was one of his works. Uh, they challenged racial discrimination in the Harlem Renaissance because he wrote a poem, "If We Must Die," and basically it looked to defend black rights and threats, mm-hmm. threatens from you know threats from prejudice and abuse. He wanted us to fight against discrimination, so he was more had a more militant tone with his writings, um, and basically he mm-hmm. felt that he he wanted us to fight with determination and courage for those who would murder us. And he, and some people regarded him as a left-wing black intellectual mm-hmm. of our age, and he was heavily influential on writers that we know today and admire James Baldwin and Richard Wright. And if you know anything about James Baldwin, he was very, <laughs> he was very outspoken. So he was he he influenced James Baldwin, <laughs> so you can understand how powerful yeah. his writings were. Yeah. So I just wanted to mm-hmm. talk about them today mm-hmm. and just give people a chance to, if you have a moment. Um, Ask everyone to go ahead and research these names mm-hmm. and 
And it doesn't take much. You know, you pull up a Wikipedia page or you look online and just research these people because they're very influential and and we need to understand who they are and what they contributed to uh, for us as a whole. Mm-hmm. And not only, and you don't have to be a black person to appreciate what they contributed because if you're a person that loves poetry or if you like, if you like intellectualism or writing, uh, definitely look at these different artists and talented people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, I know I was doing a little bit of research uh, for our talk. I really, um, again, just because I was drawn naturally myself before I am um, oh. a huge fan of Zora, you know, Neil Hurston. So, yeah. So, but I was like, <laughs> well, I better look at some other people mm-hmm. for our talk as well. <laughs> No, but it's it's interesting. Like I, you know, I love history, and I can get you know drawn into it, and just you know just look at mm-hmm. all of this history as much as you can. But I agree a hundred percent. It's easy to just you know look into these people and uh, you know find out about their lives because I think you can see the connection to um, uh, our culture today uh, through these very influential. Uh, Absolutely. And I'm uh, grateful that you're providing a platform where we can talk about these things because it's, you only get 280 characters in a tweet (laughs) and you can't really give a full story um, (laughs) in a tweet. You know, I try to do as much as I can with the amount of space that's allotted, but this is a chance where people can really hear it in the conversational Mm -hmm. style and really get it's more in depth. Uh, I think it's more personable mm-hmm. because we can personalize the experience for the listener. So it's very important that people continue to listen to these podcasts and these episodes. That way you can get a more, I would say, exclusive taste of what what is being shared that you won't get through the 240 characters, yes. I mean, 280 characters that are shared on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so Absolutely. much for talking with me and for sharing your knowledge and getting uh, uh, this knowledge out there and sharing <laughs> it, uh, even through your 280 uh, character tweets there, <laughs> which I enjoy. And yes. So, yeah, definitely we'll be talking next week uh, about musicians from the Harlem Renaissance. Yes, so it will everyone be. Everyone tunes in and listens to that. It's going to be a I'm great excited. Talk. I'm excited. Yes. Okay. Yeah, me too. It's going to be good so much. Well, tune in next week, everybody, because we're going to talk about, as as she just stated, we're going to talk about the Hollow Renaissance. We're going to dive deep and we'll talk about some of the musicians that you know know and love. So make sure you stay stay tuned next week.